there are two types of people in the world. There are those who put up their Christmas tree before Thanksgiving and those who put up their Christmas tree after Thanksgiving. Can I just see by show of hands, who are those who like put up the Christmas decorations, play Christmas songs before Thanksgiving? Can I just see? Okay, you need Jesus. And then everyone else is after, right? There are two types of people. You know, on our calendars, on our calendars, as soon as it hits December, we know something inside of us says it's time to get ready for Christmas, right? As soon as December hits, as soon as we see it on our calendar, on our phone app, we know, oh, Christmas is coming. It's, start, it's time to start making holiday plans. It's start to try, start making travel plans, start thinking about gifts, start putting up decorations. And, you know, just like we have a calendar that, that we coordinate our lives around, did you know that there is also a sacred calendar that exists that we can attach ourselves to and form our lives through the gospel story around. Um, I stole this from one of our good friends down in SoCal Echo Church. It's a, uh, it's a church calendar. This is the sacred rhythms of the early church calendar that we can kind of ascribe to. Is it there? Yeah, there it is. As you can see, there are different seasons. Just like we have an, a regular calendar, there is actually a sacred calendar, a uh, calendar through which the church abides by that helps form us. And each season forms us in a unique way. You see there's Advent and Christmas tide. There's Lent, our favorite time of the year where we fast for 40 days. There's Easter tide, the season where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then most Most of the year you see are ordinary times, just times where there isn't anything eventful, where we're in the mundane, in the middle, but God still has something that he wants to form within us there. And we're actually going to be drawing a lot more from this throughout the years to come. But all I want us to get a picture of is that in each season of our lives, in each season throughout the year, there are specific ways that God longs to connect with us and to form us. And what we find in the great Christian faith is this sacred calendar, a way of marking time through the course of the year by telling the story of Jesus. And so we are at the beginning of the story. December is the end of the year, but it's the beginning of the gospel story where God begins to form us from the inside out. And so in the Christian calendar, Christmas is anticipated by four weeks of waiting. And this season of waiting is what we call Advent. And it's a word from the Latin language that's derived from the meaning arrival. Advent means arrival. It's a season of waiting expectantly for the arrival of Jesus, remembering his arrival back then and looking forward to his arrival to come. And, you know, I've shared this concept with our church many times, but Advent celebrates the already but not yet. Look to your neighbor and say, already, but not yet. The Savior who has come yet is coming again. Like Mary, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, what God has done, and we also wait in expectation for Jesus to come again, ushering in the fullness of his kingdom, what God has yet to do, the already, but not yet. But we're familiar with this tension, aren't we? The tension between the already but not yet, we live in this tension every single day, right? We have faith in Christ's fulfilled work, but we still await its manifestation in our lives. 
We believe Jesus conquered death, but we still live with sickness and disease and pain. We believe that Jesus overcame sin, but we still struggle with greed and lust and unforgiveness. We believe Jesus came to give us life to the full, but we still battle anxiety and depression and hopelessness. See, we live in the tension between the already but not yet. And life, it's lived in this tension most of the time, isn't it? In the in-between. When I was in London, there was this really cool church that I went to called Saint. And in this church, they actually had this art exhibit slash prayer room that I thought was so neat. Why don't you just show it real quick, Ian? It's the video. And this is pretty much a prayer room in their sanctuary. And as you can see, there are projections both on the floor and in the sky. It was actually created by this artist named Ez Delvin. Have you seen the Pepsi halftime show uh, where, you know, Dr. Dre and Eminem, she designed that set. Have you seen Beyonce's latest set? She designed that. Have you seen Kanye West's Sunday service? She actually designed all those sets for pretty much the modern renaissance of performance and live art. And she actually, somehow they got her and she created this. I'm trying to get her to uh, revamp our sanctuary, but obviously she was busy doing this. And the concept, it's called shared sky. And basically every few months, what they'll do is that is actually a live projection on the floor of the sky right above them. And then on the the ceiling is actually a projection of another sky somewhere else. And so this one right now, I believe that sky is the sky of Ukraine. And so the whole concept is as we're coming into this prayer room, we're standing in the in-between, between the sky that we see and the sky that someone else sees. And we pray in the in-between, in the middle. Isn't that powerful? I feel like we should build that here or something. I think it'll look good right there. So we just need a couple million, all right, guys? Um, but anyway, when I, thought, when I saw this, I thought of this very concept, the already but not yet. The sky that, that God has already come, he's already fulfilled his work, but also the skies to come, the heavens to come, the kingdom that's to, to come. We, be, we believe in a savior who has come, yet we live every day waiting for Jesus to come again. We wait for breakthroughs and answered prayers and fulfilled promises in the already but not yet. And so the four Sundays during the season of Advent are represented actually by four candles. Um, It's a fire hazard, so I couldn't actually get some candles here. But normally during Advent, we would light four candles, and each candle represents something that Jesus brought with his arrival and something that he's still ushering in as we wait for him. The first candle represents hope. The second candle represents peace. The third candle represents joy. And the fourth candle represents love. And so as we're in this season of Advent, this is actually what Advent is about. We remember when Jesus came 2,000 years ago while posturing our hearts in expectation for Jesus to come again, remembering the hope that came and looking forward to the hope of what is to come, remembering the peace that came, but looking forward to the peace that is to come, the joy that came and the joy that is to come, the love that came and the love that is to come. And so today we begin by lighting the candle of of hope. So will you light your metaphorical candle with me of hope as we dive into this Advent season? And God, in our waiting, we remember the hope that came, the hope of the world, and we remember that there is still a hope of what's to come. So that's what we're going to dive into. Um, I want to look to this quote by Brian Zand. He says this, ours is a secular age. The sacred is pushed to the periphery, To keep the sacred at the center of our lives is a heroic act of defiance. 
to be a religious person in an irreligious world may be the last act of rebellion. When you hang out with your coworkers and your friends that don't go to church or don't believe in the same things that you believe, do you sometimes feel like really weird or really crazy sometimes? Like, do I really believe in the sky daddy that I sing to and pray to and ask for all these gifts? Do I really believe those things? And I think in our world today, especially here in America, that's becoming less and less religious, we, we, we feel now like the minority in some ways. To believe and to hope and to be optimistic is kind of rare in our day and age. Now, mostly, it's, it's cool to kind of be hopeless and angsty. That's a Gen Z thing. I don't know what it is, but there's something about being hopeful, about being positive, about having trust that God is doing something good that seems a little bit rare. Now, how many of you know that Jesus' arrival sparked more than just a holiday? It sparked a rebellion, right? When Jesus came, it changed everything. And there were forces he was coming up against. He challenged an oppressive religious order that excluded those on the margins. He defied death, disease, and hunger. He challenged the grip of sin and shame and fear over humanity. When Jesus came, his arrival sparked a rebellion over the things of this world. Like all of life's greatest lessons and metaphors, we look to Star Wars, okay? Star Wars is the gospel story, guys. By the way, when I was in Oxford um, in the UK, I actually got got to visit this site where um, famously C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, while they were students at Oxford, would walk together and have all these philosophical, theological conversations. And it was said at that site, it's called Addison's Walk, that one day, one night, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, do you know who they are, by the way? Creators of Nar- creator of Narnia and, and, and theology and stuff, and then J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. You guys know them, right? It said one night they were walking, and this is before C.S. Lewis had become a believer or ha- uh, come to faith. They're walking and they were debating, you know, just on an evening stroll. Um, they're talking about metaphors and myths, right? Because we do that all the time. When we're going for walks, we talk about metaphors and myths. And C.S. Lewis says something. He said, you know, myths, I appreciate them, but they're lies, so therefore they're worthless, right? Myths are worthless because they're not true. But J.R. Tolkien would argue with him and he said, actually myths, even though they might not be true, They have intrinsic truth and value to them. And it was said that night when C.S. Lewis went home, he thought about this, and that was the first time he began opening his heart to Jesus because of that conversation. Anyway, I visited that space, and all that to say, Star Wars, although it might not be true, there are grains of truth in it. So look into Star Wars. You know, when we look at Star Wars, do you know Star Wars is not just a story about good or evil? Star Wars is a story about a war, in the stars. Did you know that? Star Wars is a, is a movie, is a story about a war in the stars. I don't, I don't know if you know that. And it's not just a conflict between Jedi and Sith. It's not just a conflict between the dark side and the light side. At the core, at the crux of the story of Star Wars, a war that's in the stars in a galaxy far, far away, is a story about a conflict between an oppressive empire and a rebellion. I know we like to think of lightsabers and stuff, but the core of the story is an oppressive empire that's taken over the galaxy and a small ragtag group of rebels that are rising up. See, for so long, 
Emperor Palpatine was oppressing a galaxy far, far away and until a group of rebels started pushing and fighting back for something more. You know, why am I bringing this up? We might not have an Emperor Palpatine that's like ruling over us. Um, Maybe we did four years ago. But anyway, there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. There's a culture that teaches us to overwork ourselves to death, to base our worth on how much we can produce and how well we can perform. There's a society that tells us to look out for ourselves instead of caring for our neighbors, for the other, to build walls instead of bridges. We might not have a Emperor Palpatine-like figure oppressing us, but there are forces in our world and in our lives that are doing the same thing. And maybe you felt it in moments where you think, there's got to be more to life than this. Like more than the grind, more than the rat mace. Maybe you felt it in moments where you can't see an end to racism and injustice in our world. Maybe you felt it in the moments where you're overwhelmed with shame and brokenness and depression. But the good news is this. Jesus calls us to join the rebellion. To stand defiant against the ways of this age and announce the coming of a better kingdom, another kingdom, a redemption of all things, a shalom, a universal flourishing throughout the world. Jesus calls us to a hopeful rebellion. Jen Erso, who was, um, rest in peace, Rogue One, Star Wars movie, she says this, rebellions are built on hope. When I saw this movie and she said that line, I was like, yes, rebellions are built on hope. Rebellions are built on hope. You know, those with the most influence in our world, I find are those with hope. Those who, who share a voice that is so refreshing in our hopeless world. You know, during the pandemic, uh, one of the most watched YouTube videos throughout all of YouTube was John Krasinski's Some Good News. Do you guys remember that? Like all the headlines that were, you know, showing throughout the news and social media and YouTube. And John Krasinski would, I think just once every week, put on an episode called Some Good News. And he'd just share like, oh my God. Thank you. Yeah, God was saying something. No, I'm just kidding. He would, he would put on this YouTube episode, and he would just share good things, like really cute good things that are happening throughout the world, and it just blew up. Like people were watching it. They were loving it. Why? Because the voice of hope that was speaking in a, in a, in a time of despair and hopelessness was so refreshing that it impacted hearts in a way that nothing else could. Looking to Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, one of the messianic prophecies, you know, before Jesus came in the Old Testament, prophets would prophesy of the coming Messiah. This is one of them, and this is what it says. Isaiah prophesies, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. 
This is one of the messianic promises, prophecies that the Israelites were holding on to through defeat, through exile, through wilderness, through oppression. They hold on to this promise that one day the Messiah would come to make all things right. But after centuries of radio silence, the people had grown hopeless. They're like, yes, we heard this promise, but God, are you really coming? Are you going to save us from our oppressors? Are you going to save us from everything that we're going through? And they're waiting, and at times they had grown hopeless. They were wondering if Jesus was ever going to come, but then Jesus arrives. See, Jesus was so revolutionary. Why? Because he brought hope. Hope for the oppressed, hope for the sick, hope for the hungry, hope for the poor, hope for the sinner, hope that there was another kingdom, a better kingdom that was being ushered in. And I wonder if some of us are in that place right now. We had hoped for God to show up for us, but after waiting and waiting, after disappointment upon disappointment, we find ourselves hopeless. The story of Jesus reminds us that in the darkest hour, in the middle of our hopelessness, God shows up. That God has not abandoned us. He has not left us alone. He has come before and he will come again. Pastor Rich Velotis, he says this, the good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, because we often aren't, but that God is faithful in his coming. Today, I believe God is calling us to trust once again that he is coming in our lives, whether it's in your circumstance or in your heart or in your inward world, he is coming and hope is real. But here's the thing about hope. Hope often looks like a seed. If we look to Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35, this is one of the stories we often tell during Christmas. I'm just going to read it for you. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord! As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. What I find really interesting about this story is this man had been waiting and waiting his entire life to meet the Savior of the world. He had been holding on to this promise from God that his eyes would behold the Messiah before he died. And I imagine he dreamed of this moment again and again where finally, after waiting a lifetime, he would meet the Messiah. He would meet the Savior of the world. I know some of y'all fantasize about meeting the love of your life one day or meeting that celebrity that you've always wanted to meet or seeing that person you've always wanted to see in concert. You imagine it. You dream it. And I imagine Simeon, he had been dreaming and anticipating this moment where he meets the Savior of the world. He wondered what it would be like what it would feel like, what the Messiah would look like. Yet I'm bill- willing to bet never in his wildest imagination would he have expected to meet the Savior of the world as a baby. Like I don't think any, any, in any of his fantasies he imagined when I meet the Messiah, 
is going to be a tiny baby that's like crying and screaming and pooping, right? Just pretty much a mini version of Zion. I don't think in any of his dreams or imaginations or expectations, that's the way that he thought he would meet the Savior of the world. Yet hope came to the world as a seed, not as a flame or a full-grown fire, but as a spark. And when Jesus was carried into the temple, and imagine this, the temple was the very place filled with the people that were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for their rescuer. They were waiting for the Savior of the world. And in this temple, when Jesus comes in, no one recognizes him. The very thing that they had been waiting for, generation upon generation, was passing by them, reeking a little bit of baby poop and crying. And they didn't see it. The very thing they had been longing for as a people, and they missed it. Except for Simeon. It said Simeon recognized Jesus, even though it wasn't the Savior he was anticipating, even though it wasn't a full-grown Man built like Ying, right? The rescuer, the Messiah. Even though it wasn't anything that he had imagined, he was able to recognize in this tiny, helpless babe, that's the Messiah. That's the Savior of the world. And I wonder how many of us miss God in our everyday lives because we're expecting something bigger, because we're expecting something further along because we're expecting something greater or flashier or something more fleshed out. But hear me, church, hope often comes as a seed. And it takes a special kind of posture, special ways of looking to recognize when God is moving in our lives as something small, as a helpless babe. Uh, Two years ago, just around this time, we had just found out that we were pregnant with Zion, right? Um, and we hadn't told anyone yet, and we did the pregnancy test, and it was right around this time, actually, where it was kind of difficult, um, because they don't tell you how scary pregnancy is, because there's, you know that there's something growing inside of you, but you have no idea how it's doing, and um, in the early pregnancy of Zion, uh, Krista would, she started spotting a little bit, and so she started bleeding a little bit, and Honestly, it could, majority of the times it's nothing, but if you know, if you search through Google, like your worries increase so much more. And we found that spotting could mean a miscarriage. It could mean some health issues with the baby. And I remember our, our doctor's appointment was literally like two weeks out. And so we were just like so stressed. We were wondering, is baby okay? Is baby alive in there? Is baby breathing? Is baby okay? And we were just so worried, filled with anxiety. I remember one day, about close to two years ago, we were really down. And Krista had just locked herself in the bedroom. It was like 4 p.m., but she just turned off all lights. She was crying in bed. I remember I was so worried. I was like, man, I wish the doctor's appointment would be tomorrow so we could just know, you know? Sometimes not knowing is harder than knowing, right? And I remember um, I thought, okay, to cheer Krista up, I'm going to set up the Christmas tree because Thanksgiving has passed, and now it's a godly hour to be doing this, Jess. And so I grabbed the Christmas tree. I'm just kidding. I set it up. I set up the lights, all the ornaments, and I just turn on a random Christmas playlist on Spotify. And then I bring Krista out. I'm like, look. And she's like, oh my God, I love Christmas. Thank you. And we're like dancing to the Christmas random Spotify playlist. And then as we start dancing, a song comes on, the first Noel. Now, 
it's a song just to you guys, but to us it means something more. Because in college, when we were friends, we would debate, hey, if I have my kid first, I'm going to name her Noelle. And then Crystal's like, no, that's the name that I have chosen for my child. You cannot have it. And so we would battle, and we were just friends. We didn't know we'd end up together, but we would battle in college and be like, Noelle is my kid's name. No, my kid's name. Like, we owned it. And Noelle, the name, represented to us our future. It represented our desire to start a family. Now, obviously, we didn't name our kid Noel, but it was, it was in the early stages. It represented something more than just a name, a good name. It represented our hope for a future family. And in that moment as we were dancing to a random Spotify music playlist with the crappy Christmas tree that I just set up in 15 minutes, we felt God speaking to us, a spark of hope, saying, hey, you don't need to worry. Even just through the random playing of this song on a random playlist that just happened to play, maybe it was just coincidence, but God spoke through that moment. Have you ever had that moment where it was something so small, but it was enough to give you hope to carry on at least until the next day or at least until the next moment? That whisper that didn't sound like, hey, I'm here, I'm God, I'm moving, but it was a whisper that you could barely make out, but it was enough to help you get through the night, to help you move forward, to say, God, I don't know so many things around me. I'm still in the middle of the mystery, but this little thing I can hold on to and I can trust. See, I think it's significant that when Jesus came, he came as a seed. He came as a spark. He came as a helpless babe. Because when you have a spark, it grows into something more. I wonder... If maybe today what we're needing is not a grandiose word from God or an earth-shattering revelation from the Almighty or like this undeniable miracle, I wonder if some of us simply need a seed, simply need a spark of hope in the midst of our hopelessness. And maybe it'll be a gentle whisper of his voice Maybe be a random sign throughout the day. Maybe you'll be on your Spotify playlist later and that song comes on and you just know, oh God, you're speaking to me. Maybe it's simply a small feeling of inward peace that you haven't felt for a long time. Maybe it's the prayer of a friend. You know, don't underestimate the power of your prayer for each other. I can't tell you how many times someone prayed for me and it's just like a throwaway line. You know, like something you throw on a Christian mug or a bumper sticker, but it was like, oh my God you don't know what that means for me. Like, you don't know that I was reflecting on that passage the night before. You don't know what that phrase or that word might mean to me. Don't underestimate the powers of your prayer for one another. But I believe one thing that God wants to speak today. I believe he wants to give us a spark of hope. I believe he wants to give us a seed, something that we can hold on to that will help us in our hopelessness. I'll conclude with this quote from Shane Claiborne. He says, but this waiting is not a passive waiting. It is an active waiting. As any expectant mother knows, this waiting also involves preparation, exercise, nutrition, care, prayer, work, and birth involves pain, blood, tears, joy, release, community. It's called labor for a reason. Likewise, we are in a world pregnant with hope and we live in the expectation of the coming of God's kingdom on earth. But as we wait, we also work. 
We cry. We pray. We ache. We are midwives of another world. Look to your neighbor and say, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> right now, I'm going <laughs> to... Sorry to ruin the moment. Why don't we close our eyes as we get ready to respond? I believe that God wants to give us hope today. Part of the, uh, the beauty of Advent is that God comes to give us hope where we feel hopeless. What area of your life are you feeling hopeless right now? Where, when you look, you can't see any goodness, or you can't see any trace of God moving, where you can't see any evidence that God is there? Is there any area of your life where you just feel utterly hopeless? And I believe as Jesus came to a hopeless world 2,000 years ago, one thing he longs to do in your hopelessness right now is to come again. I believe he wants to come as a seed, as a spark. Maybe it might not be the thing that you were expecting, but, but God, would you give us eyes like Simeon to be able to notice you when no one else could? So right now, just take a moment. Where are you needing hope in your life? Where are you feeling hopeless? And maybe some of you, you might hear something that God is speaking to that hopelessness. Maybe some of you might just feel something for the first time in a long time. Maybe some of you, God will speak throughout the rest of your day. Maybe some of you, like me, are weird and God speaks through uh, movies and metaphors and myths like Star Wars. I don't know, whatever it is, I believe that God wants to speak. So just take a moment Ask God, God, would you give me a spark of hope? Would you give me a seed of hope in the area where I'm hopeless?